Thank you, worship team. I know I appreciate you when you're up here. The scripture today is from 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the, were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Agagius, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers in or send your, you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And children, you're dismissed. Today we're going to be concluding a year-long series that we've been on in 1 Corinthians, except for a few breaks like Advent and a couple other breaks we took. We've been uh, going through 1 Corinthians and we're wrapping that up today. Beginning next week, we plan on preaching a short sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, which by the way, after I sat down, I did realize that I didn't do it today, and I noticed nobody brought it up, but uh, we'll take a a break today from it. But the short sermon series will begin next week, and we've been wanting to do that. We've been telling you that we were going to do it, and the time has come. We're hoping to be able to um, maybe explain uh, some of the reason why we have been wanting to uh, recite the creed together when we person leading remembers to recite the creed and uh, why we picked that particular version of the creed because there are various versions and and more modern versions that we could have uh, decided on and then also hopefully answer some of the questions that you uh, a few people have uh, asked us about with different phrases that are in the creed and try to address some of those issues So we hope you'll enjoy that series. I think it will be about a month and a half uh, worth of sermons. And then in December, we'll do our Advent series like we typically do. 
And then beginning in January, we are beginning a new series in the book of Exodus, although I think we may begin at the tail end of Genesis, just to kind of do an introduction into what is taking place with Exodus. So most of next year, we will probably be in the book of Exodus. And uh, that's what the next few months, at least, will look like from the pulpit here. And we hope that you plan on being here regularly to hear these messages that we, uh, we are bringing to you. And while we bring, I bring that up, I also want to remind you to, to always try to remember us in your prayers. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it, it is a huge responsibility. It's especially like for Bob and, and more so with his health to try to bring a sermon every week. And uh, we, we really desire to be accurate in what we teach and uh, be thorough in what we teach, to be bold in how we speak, and we seek to please God with the messages that we, we bring, and we could, we could use and we covet your prayers on our behalf um, to do that. So don't, don't forget to pray for us as, as we uh, endeavor to bring these sermons. Um, Ted, you can go ahead and put up that uh, map if you want. Um, I am one who um, like using visual aids once in a while just because it helps me to visualize better what it is that we're talking about. Probably should have been putting this up more often during our series, but this is a small section of the um, Mediterranean Sea area in the region, primarily uh, Greece, which would be where Macedonia and Achaia is at, Asia, which is modern-day Turkey over on this map, and some of the cities, in particular Corinth and Ephesus, which we'll be talking about today. All the way to the left, of course, is the, the, the toe of Italy. Uh, that hasn't changed in all these years. And Israel would be off the map, kind of down to the bottom right-hand side there. So um, you can just leave that up. It's fine. And um, might help when we're reading about these cities to be able to look at that. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the last half of the 16th chapter. So you can turn there if you haven't already. Which in some ways, if you're reading this in your studies or reading this as you're going through 1 Corinthians, you might pass this off as just what it even says on the, the uh, subtitles here, final instructions, or maybe thinking that it's just kind of the concluding remarks of Paul to the church in Corinth and just speed read through it. Um, I think sometimes when we do that, we miss some jewels that always seem to be hidden in the text. And I hope to spend a little bit of time on a few of these statements that I picked out this morning and some instructions. And uh, you'll, you'll see that, that it is more than just Paul signing off to the church. So let's start with verse 12. Here Paul apparently is addressing the final question that the, the, the people in Corinth had written him about. Remember, part of uh, Paul's uh, letter here is actually answering some questions that the church in Corinth had. 
for him, and they sent him a letter and said, you know, what about this? What about that? And he was responding to that. He's addressed questions on marriage and singleness. He's addressed questions on um, food offered to idols, on Christian liberty. He's answered questions on spiritual gifts. And then here in chapter 16 is the final question that they had that we're aware of. And Paul answers their question concerning Apollos, which we first heard of um, in this letter anyway, in the beginning um, chapter, the first chapter of Paul, where if you remember, Paul was addressing Apollos as a co-worker or a partner in his ministry. And then he's mentioned a couple of times throughout the letter. There is a brief description of Apollos that is available to us today in the book of Acts, chapter 16, a couple verses, where he is introduced to us. And we're told that he was um, from Alexandria, Egypt, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was one of the great cities of the time in that area. He was an eloquent man, we're told, who was competent in the scriptures. All very good things. Um, you know, uh, uh, given us an uh, impression of him. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us who instructed him, but from somewhere he received this information and in that he spoke and taught about Jesus. Um, although his knowledge of Jesus was a little bit limited. He only knew of the baptism of John the Baptist. He didn't know of the baptism and what takes place with Jesus. So there's some things that he wasn't aware of yet. But, um, but that is some information that we received. So he was obviously respected and known to the early church. In today's text, we read that Paul believed that Apollos should accompany um, the other brothers, is what the text says, but that was Timothy and Erastus. When they were to travel to Corinth sometime around this time that he's writing this letter, However, Apollos decided not to go at that particular time. He had something else that he was involved in, something that he felt the Lord had was, uh, taken him into, and he basically told Paul that, no, I'm, 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 I'm not available right now to go there. The church must have asked Paul if and when Apollos was going to return to Corinth, and Paul addressed them with that, that explanation and that Apollos would return as soon as he had an opportunity. So he's just kind of um, trying to give them the best answer he can. And I'm thinking it's probably based a little bit on, if you remember uh, Bob speaking last week from chapter 15, or uh, was it in chapter 15 that happened? I, maybe it was uh, the beginning of 16. Um, that Bob is addressing Paul when Paul expressed his desire to return to Corinth sometime in person, but uh, he wasn't sure when that was going to take place, and he gave the caveat of if the Lord wills. And I believe he's kind of addressing that a little bit with Apollos too, that 
Paulus wants to come as soon as he can, if the Lord wills, or if the Lord allows, if you will, because they, they need to follow uh, the Lord's leading. We can see also in verse 12 that with the way that he describes this, that Paul did not think of himself, even though he's in the role of an apostle and, a, and obviously a, a founding person of the churches in a lot of this region, he did not look at himself or was he considered by others to be in charge or over Apollos. It wasn't like he had the ability to tell Apollos, no, 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 this is the time that you're going to go to um, Corinth. He allowed Apollos or, or, or understood that Apollos needed to follow the Holy Spirit's leading um, just as he does and gave him the liberty to do that. So even though he desired or thought it would be best for him to go, um, he agreed with Apollos when he didn't. In verses 13 and 14, Paul issues five imperatives or commands to the church in Corinth. And although, you know, as, as I frequently tell you, we need to figure out what God, what the writer is trying to tell the person, the original people, um, what, what the meaning of the words meant to them before we can apply it to us. I do believe that these, this, these, this command was to the church in Corinth, but I do believe that these commands and imperatives would be equally applied to us today, and you'll see why I think that in just a minute. It reads, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And to understand these commands, we need to remember the various problems that Paul had already been addressing to the church in Corinth throughout the whole letter. You know, he addressed a number of different issues. They had divisions in the church that we saw at the beginning of the letter. Some claimed to, to be following the teachings of Peter, some Paul, some of Apollos. They were quarreling among themselves and they were not adhering to the teachings or instructions of the other leaders of the church except for the one that they were claiming they were following. So they were disregarding a lot of the other teachings, thinking that they didn't have the authority to, um, to be instructing them. There was disorder in the church. They failed to confront and discipline sin in their midst. Some very gross sins. They were allowing persons who were practicing habitual sexual sin to fellowship with them and weren't confronting that. They were suing each other in civil courts over various slights and hurts instead of trying to address them in the church. They would purchase and use meat known to have been offered to idols and serve it to family and friends and at meals and banquets without any consideration. And of course, the questions that I've already mentioned earlier in the Corinthians that um, that Paul that the Corinthians sent to Paul those questions too, and many of these same problems and these same issues that the church in Corinth had are present and festering in our own churches in the United States 
the church in Corinth, which if you really think about when this letter was written, this is in the early years of the Christian church and the problems they already had because of the society they were in. But Corinth is an amazing example of the Western church of today. It seems like nothing has changed over 2,000 years. We deal with a lot of the same problems, issues that they did. And as we read this letter from Paul, it would seem as if he was addressing our very own problems and sins that we face on a regular basis. And and that is why I believe these commands are very pertinent to us today. So when we read these commands that he gives them, we could read them as he's addressing us because we've dealt with some of those same sins. Paul told them to be watchful, starting in verse 13 there. Some translations may say, be alert. This word was also used in Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12, if you remember the story, with the example of the servants whose master returned from a trip and found them to be awake when he returned. And Jesus said in Luke 12:40, you also, must, talking to his disciples, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at, the, at an hour you do not expect. The phrase be ready in that verse is the same Greek word here that's translated be watchful, be ready, be watchful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul was writing concerning the day of the Lord to the church there and wrote, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Maybe you remember that passage. And then a little later in verse 6 of the same text, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And those words, keep awake, is the same word translated here. So as Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and Paul in 1 Thessalonians stated that those following Christ need to live in a manner that has the expectation of the return of Christ, which is called the day of the Lord, that's how they're called to live expecting it to happen. The reader is not being told just to be hopeful for the day or be looking towards it like Lisa and I are currently doing for uh, departing on this trip that we've got planned in a few weeks that we've been working on. It's not the same way. But we are to live in a way that when that day arrives, a person will not be caught by surprise or found to be in a compromising action at the time. Wouldn't that be embarrassing and shameful to the Lord come back and you're in the middle of a sin? Can't even imagine how horrible that would, that would feel. In following or following after the world in as some here in Corinth was doing. Corinth was 
constantly being influenced by the society around them and the actions that was going on. And some of the, the, the church members were giving in to parts or compromising or, or, you know, well, you know, I think we can do a little of this so that we can connect with our neighbors a little better. And that's not how we should be living. Be ready. Be prepared. You know, we're not given a clear clue of any sort of when Christ will return, that day of the Lord, when that will happen. We don't have an advance warning. Each generation, though, and I think Bob uh, says this off and on, each generation must live as if that generation is when it will happen, because it may. You know, you you look at some of the texts in the New Testament, and it talks about how, you know, the coming of the Lord is, is coming soon, and you're thinking, well, that was 2,000 years ago. If it was coming soon then, why is it why hasn't it happened? When I mean, how long does this go? And that's what Bob will usually say. Every generation has to live as if that generation is when it's going to happen, because the end of time may happen in your generation. We are here to we here today are to live as if he will return in our lifetime. Be alert. And a question I would ask you is or or you or am I trying to live in a way that when that day arrives that I will be found in obedience to God and his word? Will you be in that position? Paul continued to, by commanding them to stand firm in the faith. And this faith that he's talking about is the Christian faith, of course, which includes the Gospels and sound doctrine and, and the, you know, the, the, the complete list of Scriptures. Of course, at their time, uh, they had the Old Testament and just parts of the New Testament. We have the whole book. But uh, that is the standing firm in the faith, standing firm in the sound doctrine and theology that we've been given in Scripture. And Paul says that our life should be so entwined with what we're taught from Scriptures that going to church on Sunday is not the only way that someone would be able to tell or call you a Christian. That should not be the indicator or the key indicator that someone has. We are to live daily in obedience to God's will and live as one who is in fellowship with Him in all aspects of our life. We can't live one way on Sunday and Monday through Friday someone would not have a clue that you're a believer. That is not living in a way that's honoring to God. Our, our family life should reflect our love for Jesus. My relationship with my wife should reflect my love for Jesus. My work life should reflect my love for Jesus. The way I interact with my neighbors should reflect my love for Jesus. And just as important as how I relate to you, my brothers and sisters, should reflect my love for Jesus. The 
But the question I have to ask is, does it? Not only looking at my own life, but you have to look at your life and figure out where you're at. It's always good as a Christian to kind of reflect back and kind of um, look in the mirror, if you will, and kind of see how you're doing. Do a, do a check compared to what Scripture is calling you to do and how, you're, how well you're doing to accomplish it. Paul wrote to them here and said, act like men. Be strong. And both these statements are intended to mean that a person is to be brave, or maybe a better word would be mature. That a mature person would have these characteristics. You know, sometimes I, I, I will correct it myself, but um, the, the, because the, the Bible was written at a time when uh, society was, was more masculine-led, and even though I may make those same comments with soccer balls or things like that, um, we're not in that same type of thing. But uh, when he writes things like uh, act like men, women should not turn off their ear or shut their eyes thinking, oh, well, that's, that's something Ron has to do, but I don't have to do that. <laughs> that's, that's for him. But that's not. That's just the way that it was written. But it means... You too, ladies. And that's why I think that uh, word would be uh, uh, maybe not better, but a better way to understand what the thought is here is to be mature. Someone who is not easily swept away or influenced by other sources around us, but is able to resist the outside pressures of the world that seek to sway us away from the path of righteousness, righteousness that we're called to, to walk. As a follower of Christ grows in faith and in spiritual understanding, he or she should be stronger and wiser on how to live and how to resist temptations and the traps that Satan places in your way to snare you. And no matter how spiritually mature you are, he is actively out there doing just that. He is like the, the, the roaring lion looking to devour you. Paul is saying that Paul is saying that they are to be this way in regards to all the different issues that he's already addressed in this letter. That's why he wrote this command. That whatever the temptation whatever the circumstance that they find themselves dealing with, individually or as a church, that they are to act like mature people. The pressures are real and they're deadly. And it requires courage and it requires a reliance upon the Lord to be able to overcome. And he is calling them to that. And it, require, it, 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 it requires uh, the reliance on the Lord because he is the source and the one who gives us the ability and the power to resist. We can't do it on our own strength. We need him. And the last command here is 
Let all that you do be done in love. This is the agape love that we've talked about previously. This command is a reminder that everything a Christian does should be done in and for this special type of love that a Christian has through Christ. A carnal man or woman does not have agape love in their life. If you're a Christian today, you do. You're given that type of love to be able to exercise and act on. It reminds us or it reminds the reader that love is the true authenticator of a spiritual person. Agape love is the true authenticator. It's how we are to function in in day-to-day life. And it should be the primary indicator to those around us that we are Christians. Remember the question I had or the comment I had about coming to church on Sunday shouldn't be the primary indicator or way that someone can tell you're a Christian? Seeing agape love in your life should be the primary indicator. How did Jesus say that we would be known as one of his people in John chapter 13? There he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love or if you have love for one another. And that's that agape love. Or what did John say in 1 John 3? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's how people will know. Paul spent time in his letter describing agape love and its importance and what it looks like uh, to us. He, he, He spent some time going over it. Everything that we do should be done in agape love. How many less divisions would local churches be going through if they were practicing agape love? How much less hurt or feelings would be hurt or feelings would be hurt if we practice love to each other? How many arguments would not exist if we loved one another like this? It is to our shame that we so often are more concerned about our own desires and feelings or beliefs that we would jeopardize hurting or even destroying another brother or sister just so we can get our way. I know many people from my past church life that have since walked away from the church. Not only the adults that we knew at the time, but their children as they grew up to become adults, they walked away. And it was because of the way they were treated in church or the hurt that they received 
And while there is more to it, the lack of agape love was probably a huge part of the problem. They were hurt, and many of them were destroyed in their faith. May God forgive us, and I pray that he will change our hearts and help us as individuals to extend love to each other as we should. We can all do much better. I can do much better. In verses 15 through 18, Paul acknowledged several persons that traveled over to see him with the report of the progress in the church. Even with the problems that he has been made aware of and that he's addressed in this letter, they obviously encouraged him with information about whatever they brought to them. And I can only imagine the idea of things that would have been encouraging to him would be maybe information about new converts in the faith. Surely many were coming to know Christ and he would, they would have shared that information. Growth that was taking place and how the congregation still had a great affection for Paul. The news lifted his spirit, he says, concerning the church in Corinth. And as he was encouraged, he urged the leaders of the church to accept this man, Stephanus, that we read about, whose household were apparently some of the first converts in the region. Maybe not the first converts, but at least some of the first ones. And they had voluntarily assumed roles of safeguarding the general welfare of the local congregation. So they were actively involved in the church, in the body, in various ways. And Paul is not only acknowledging Stephanus' calling by God into this role, but is urging others to submit to them or help him or receive him in this role and others in similar roles in their work, which in some ways I think encourages us or lets us know that there are other people, maybe not like Scripture teaches with elders and leaders and deacons, those types of people necessarily uh, uh, being limited to being active in the church, that there are other people like this man who is involved in some way and that people should accept that and encourage him. Paul concluded by sending them greetings from himself, which we see, and from other persons that are currently with him in Ephesus, which is the capital of the Roman providence that he's writing from. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted the map up is you know, we're talking about the church in Corinth. Paul is over in Ephesus. Um, that distance doesn't look like it's great, but if you're having to travel by boat, it probably takes a little while to get across, so it's not a quick thing. But um, that's where he's at. He sent personal greetings from Aquila and uh, Prisca, which I, as far as I'm aware, this was the first time I've seen that name used. But in other passages, they are referred to as people we know, Aquila and Priscilla. Actually, I, I'm more familiar with those names. 
It's believed that they were both widely known to the Christian churches throughout the region and were respected leaders and followers of Christ. You know, we, we do look at the distance and how long it takes, but the Christian church at this point was probably still of a size that um, leaders in various churches, leaders who, especially teachers, you know, Paul, everyone who knew Paul and Apollos and so forth, um, but people like Aquila and Priscilla was probably known maybe not in person, but know of. They've heard of these people. They know who they are. They know that they are some people in a church at Ephesus. And um, and they were respected leaders and followers of Christ. He finished by stating that they should greet one another with a holy kiss. And I've heard of churches that have read this and received it and came up with some type of... Uh, greeting with a holy kiss that uh, I don't know that that's necessarily what we need to to step up and start doing but this was not something that was um, uh, common if you will with the outside of the church with the society around them there there wasn't such a thing as a holy kiss that was being used in the neighborhood it was something that came up with this particular church and maybe some other churches in the region um, I printed this this morning for some reason I'm back to front and I'm not used to going through this and looking at my notes back to front um, but it had become a way of greeting one another in the church environment especially in Corinth especially since when many of the Christian churches met in private homes they weren't meeting in and necessarily in uh, churches or in public buildings, they were being held in private homes. It would be similar to when last uh, the last couple of weeks when uh, Sasan and Rebecca came home uh, came to visit. Um, you know, when I saw them, I gave them a hug in addition to uh, saying hello and and and. Uh, kind of as more of a greeting of good to see them. Um, when I see my sons after some time, I often will greet them with a hug in addition to a greeting. Maybe a little bit different, but it's the, uh, the idea, I think, of trying to explain what this holy kiss is about. I think it's the same idea behind it. This is what uh, this holy kiss is like. It's an expression of affection and joy of seeing another brother or sister. But I think Paul added the descriptor of holy on purpose because he's expressing that is not a sign of some type of physical attraction or, or affection and that it was meant to be kept pure in, the way to, uh, in, in, in a way of expressing joy and happiness to see each other. Paul wrote these last words in his own hand and signed the letter to add a personal touch to it since the letter was more than likely written in, in the hand writing of a secretary, which would be a typical way he did that uh, when he wrote these letters. But he wanted to give a personal touch to it. And these greetings, from what I understand, that is at the end of a letter, that was very typical 
of that time and region to do that, to put the greeting at the end instead of like we do, putting it at the beginning. These last verses are more than just concluding a letter from Paul, but it is also giving us an indication to the close relationship that some of these congregations in the early church had with each other and with individual Christians in the area. So that's when you see uh, the exchange there, you know, the, uh, the uh, sending the greeting from Aquila and Priscilla and from the churches and so forth. They knew who these people were and they knew these churches. They, they were connected. Verse 22 also seems to me like it kind of came out of nowhere when you're reading this. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't seem like it, it fit with the flow. Um, when you're reading through this. But it says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. But I think in light of what Paul has already stated of the importance of love in the life of a Christian, it makes more sense. If you, if you think of the context that is put in here, it makes more sense. The Greek word here, though, that is used for love, is not agape like we've been dealing with. Remember the Greek language, especially the biblical Greek that's being used here, had several words for love, and you have to figure out which one it is to understand the relationship or the action that's taking place. This particular love is um, phileo, and it's the love you would have for a friend, such as what David had for Jonathan, if you remember the story of David and Jonathan, and how sometimes it would say that he loved Jonathan. And that's what it's expressing, is that type of love. It's also the word that the founding fathers used when they established Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, because it's supposed to be the, the city of love. That's the idea. Same word, the same prefix for it. However, uh, they obviously have moved very far away from the founding principles there. So why does Paul add this here? And why is, why is a different love being used instead of agape, since we've already gone through many verses with agape? And it's believed that is used here because Paul is actually addressing and stating this to false teachers that are already present in the church at Corinth. So that, that phrase, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed, O Lord, come, is actually aimed at the false teachers. If a person does not have love for Jesus in this manner, then Paul says, let them be accursed. This word, accursed, is actually the word that we, we only hear of, as far as I'm aware, in, in uh, uh, the Bible or scriptures, is anathema. And it's a very harsh word with a harsh meaning. And Paul only used it, this comment or this word in one other instance that I've been able to find, to, when he wrote to the church in Galatia, and he said, 
If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's in Galatians 1.8. This is a curse that calls down God's judgment on a person. Remember in the Old Testament covenant law, when it was commanded that one is to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. Disobedience brought on a curse. While obedience would bring blessing. That accursed is saying this type of love is expressed by adoration and devotion which would be absent in a false teacher. Paul is invoking a curse on them and in the same breath he's calling on Christ's return. O Lord, come. And I think that would be a great conclusion to not only this letter of admonishment and encouragement to the church in Corinth, but also to the churches today. That statement calling on Christ to return is part of what we're doing when we celebrate communion together. We reflect back on the giving of his own life on our behalf to satisfy the wrath of God that we are due. And we also look forward to when Jesus returns, the day of the Lord, when he will call home all his children and when we can look forward to celebrating communion with him. O Lord, come. The communion is for those who have accepted and professed Jesus Christ as Lord and King in their lives. So if you're here today and you or have not experienced this, or if you're unsure if you have, we would ask as we celebrate communion that you just uh, sit quietly there for a few minutes. And during the next song, as the worship team comes up, please come up and get the cup, whichever one you prefer, and then hold it until we're all served and we'll celebrate together. Worship team. It's all. 
creation groaning. It is. It's a new creation coming. It is. It's the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seals and open the scrolls? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. your word. Thank you for giving us this letter from Paul that we might read and study and wish we could say learn from their mistakes, but so often we fall right into the trappings that they did. Lord, for that I pray for forgiveness. 
But I do pray, Lord, that you will help us as a local church to be a church that lives by the gospel and lives by agape love in our lives and the way that we relate with each other and relate with other people. Lord, help us to see better and better what that looks like and help us to act in that way. Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you for this table that you have appointed for us to to participate in. We ask a blessing upon the bread and upon the cup. We ask that you will, as we participate together, be able to reflect more clearly of what it is and what cost was involved with allowing us to do this. That you sent your very son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we look forward for his return. Oh Lord, come. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now I did not forget the last verses of the chapter because I was holding it to conclude today's service. And let's stand as we Get ready to sing the last song and leave. And the last words of this chapter and letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I express it to you today. The, gra- the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Hope to see you next week. If you have time to stay in fellowship a little while, I think there's some snacks in the back. Thank you again. And let's wrap up.
deeper 